Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Jason Tucker, and this is WP Water Cooler, episode number 242. Today's topic is structuring your WordPress projects. Let's go around the room real quick, get everyone introduced. Let's start with George. George, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm George Fass. I work for Automatic doing shiny things on the Jetpack plugin. I just got back from speaking at WordCamp DC last weekend and am absolutely excited to uh, have this fall coming up with not too much stuff going on. Awesome, I man. <laughs> How about you, John Brown? Hey, my name is John Brown. I have a little agency called Nine Seeds while being a full-time digital nomad, romping around the world today, uh, joining everybody from Spain. A town called Ronda, Spain, with a beautiful bridge and um, tiny little streets that cars don't fit on, which is my new goal. All towns with no cars that fit. That's awesome, man. It's Cogni. Good to have you on. <laughs> How about you, Russ? Uh, my name is Russ. I, uh, I'm rocking the automatic T-shirt today, but I work for a company called uh, Web Dev Studios, where we do lots of stuff where um, that relates to the topic of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Well, hopefully that, that relates every single time. How about you, Sarah? Hi, I'm Sarah Weefald. I'm the project manager at Zeke Interactive. And Russell, this whole time I thought your shirt was a germs shirt, not automatic. Some people thought it was the Ghostbusters thing too, but you know, like it's blue and not red, but I thought what you I thought it was a what we do is secret thing. No? It could be. It might be. But it says automatic on the back, so it kind of throws it away. <laughs> well and it's a really interesting illusion because you've got like that black boom mic right in front of you. So when you stand up a little bit, like that covers the slash in it. Oh, so it just looks yeah. like a blue circle. Nice. We'll talk about that in just a minute. How about you, Various? Tell us a bit about yourself. Everyone, my name is Various Smith, and I am Chief Everything Officer of Phil Veracity Design and uh, also run the Inland Empire WordPress Meetup Group. That's awesome. Good to have you on. I'm Jason Tucker. You can find me over at Jason Tucker and the website wpwatercooler.com. Feel free to go take a look at all of that stuff. So let's talk a little bit about structuring your WordPress projects. This is this is a this is a topic that's near and dear to uh, Sarah's heart, and I'd also imagine to John Brown's heart and to um, let's see, to various is hard as well in that, you know, you guys run, either run agencies yourself, you're doing your own stuff, or you work for somebody else who does this and you're the project manager. And, you know, these things have to be difficult, uh, structuring the project out, getting it kind of figured out. Last night, um, various now we're even talking about this. He was kind of showing me how, how he kind of uh, sets up all of his projects and how he kind of gets all those um, things structured and stuff. So, I think it's a pretty good topic for us to talk about some, uh, today. So, Sarah, what do you guys what are you guys doing over there? Um, you know, you know, when you're structuring out a project like like a WordPress project you're going to be building. Well, I mean, there's there's the administrative structure, and then there's the how we do the code structure. So yeah, yeah. I mean, we did. Yeah, like yes, or last week we talked about um, you know structuring the database itself, the content that's going to be in it, how you're going to be pulling and pushing stuff out of it, and all those sorts of things. And so you know, I'm thinking that uh, you know, kind of doing these, uh, doing a project, doing project management for especially large scale projects can't be easy. And I think you got to either use a bunch of tools to be able to make this happen, or just be really smart at um, how you go about doing those, uh, you know, doing that project. What about you guys, John? Well, it's interesting because with this topic of like how do you structure your projects, I was wondering 
if we wanted to talk more about the, the kind of how do you structure the project timeline-wise or the code base or whatever. Um, I get really into the code base stuff. I'm, I'm fanatical about um, kind of code standards and, and how we organize that side of things. But one of the things that we tend to do, um, because we do a lot of bespoke custom site development, um, it's not quite, uh, it's not super complex, but it's complex. So we tend to go through the mock-up stage, uh, turn mock-ups into themes. But one of the things that we do is we tend to build functionality only um, before we get into actually making things pretty. Um, and that's something that was really hard to get around when we started doing this was you know, eight years ago. Um, we kind of just did it all. And like one developer would go into a cave and just be like, I'm to hack on it until the PSD, like until the theme looks like the PSD. <laughs> and things are bigger and complicated now. We don't. We like we we kind of skeleton it. We build the functional parts, and we outline this in a, kind of upfront. We outline this. Um, we're going to build the custom post types and the custom fields. We're going to import the data, and it's not until all of that kind of base work is done that we care what a CSS color is or any of the any of the CSS starts happening. Well, it, it's part of that problem, right? It, it's how do you get people to, you know, fill out your newsletter or, you know, like how do we make sure that your newsletter actually goes to MailChimp or Constant Contact or whatever? Let's make that work before we decide, hey, let's make pretty little rainbows behind the, the background or whatever, right? Like, like it can look amazing, but you need it to work. And I think functionality should always trump design. Sorry, designers out there. <laughs> Sarah, what about what about the scaffolding stuff that you guys, you know, you're when you're building these things out to figure out how how are you going to work out this project? You're going to have this piece, then you're going to have this piece, and then you have this piece. How do you guys kind of start start that process off of, you know, what's the storyline for this thing? What are you well, going to do in order to make it happen? First, I would just like to make the point that functionality is design. Ooh. I mean, That's why they call it user experience if, design. But yes. Yeah. If if we're only thinking about design in terms of, you know, looking pretty, use all of the latest, you know, I found this thing on Dribble, so put it in like <laughs> like make my that's, that's, icon have some gloss on it. Yeah. Like that. That's part of design. But but what design really is is. How do I make this thing easy to use, both for the people coming to the website and also the people who are maintaining it? Yeah. So in order to figure out what those people need, um, first step for us is usually thinking about who these people are. You know, so like I need to know that. <clears throat> let's say it's a publication, and you know, eighty percent of the writers are you know above a certain age, have never used WordPress before, don't really care to learn it, then I've got to plan that accordingly. Um, and you know, I've got to figure out how we're going to you know, structure uh, all of the user permissions. Um, but then you know, it also kind of depends on when you're planning out functionality, who's going to be using the site, why, what do they care about when they come to your site, what's the first thing you want to see, um, how do you remove as much friction and, and barriers between the user and what they want. And are, are any of your users coming to you with, uh, you know, at cross purposes? You know, how do you resolve conflict between what people want? 
one of the conversations that we've been having a lot, Sarah, maybe you can talk about this or, or talk about, you know, maybe how you'd handle it is that like your homepage kind of isn't your homepage anymore. Like your latest blog post becomes your homepage, right? Because that's what you're sharing on social media. So like that kind of design or, or the importance of how those pages lay out and how, how it, you know, communicates to your, your viewers, that's kind of more important than like everything else that, that you have to do. Cause some people, some clients get like, so focused on like my contact forms need to do this or my, my, you know, when it shrinks to this screen, it needs to look like this, but it's like, Hey, your, your blog post is going to say more than is going to see more action than that form ever will. So like, how do you handle like, Focusing your client on saying no, this is first, then this is second, then this is third. How do you handle that? Uh, well, I take technique out of the conversation entirely. This is Basil Hayden, by the way. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who are just listening, I have a cat with separation anxiety problems, and he's sitting on my shoulder. Um, all right, sorry. Before is it me, or does anyone else want him to say Polly wants a cracker so bad? I know. <laughs> bad. Um, <clears throat> so when I talk to clients about the things that they want on their website, I try to talk entirely outside of user experience. I don't want to talk about the solution that they're looking for. Because the second they come to me saying, you know, I need this JavaScript library and I want this, this, and this, uh, it turns out they actually might want something completely different. Yeah. Um, yeah so that a lot of really comes down to IA. Yeah. Like, I, I try to focus them on, like, yeah. what... When someone comes to this page, what needs to happen? That's yeah. And you start with the goals. Yeah, we come up with the solution. And, I think I think what I think what Russ was saying earlier is that is that sometimes the goal is that they just need to open the app and get to a page that displays the you know the contents of it, or they just need to go to a, the the site on this particular page that social media linked them to, or something like that. So I think the paradigms change that they're not just going through the front door anymore. There's also other ways that they're going into the into the content too. Well, so yeah, what, what, what I was what I was getting at is that every page becomes the home page, right? L like because the way that we share things on social media and we share links and whatever, <clears throat> like every page has to have like no matter what your sales funnel is, like getting them to that contact form is how you get paid, right? Every page has to say like, okay, I, I'm the start then how do we get them to that funnel? And you know, it's no longer homepage to about page to, to sales page. It could be from blog page to to the that contact page, and it changes per client. That that's what I was getting at. Okay, well, so, you might be able to actually. Or, sorry, John, I'll I'll let you jump back in here in just a sec. Um, I think you can solve that in your user personas. Look at Sarah um, doing the Steve thing. I know. <laughs> no, when you when you Wikipedia says when you plan out, <laughs> plan out your user personas, then you can you know say like you know hey here's the type of user who's never going to hit your homepage. They're coming to your site through Facebook because somebody posted an article. So in order to make sure that we're converting those people, here's what this page needs to do. Yeah. I'm sorry, go for yeah, it. I was going to mentioning personas is part of what I was about to mention. Um, and it was going to tie to what uh, Russ said. So we do a lot of publisher websites for news media stuff. I know Zeke does as well. And at least for our clients, a lot of them don't care about their homepage because none of the traffic comes in on the homepage anymore. Um, all of their traffic comes in via social share. Um, and increasingly so, all of their traffic comes in mobile. So there's a couple of things when we're originating a project. One, 
Um, I'm curious if anybody here isn't doing mobile-first design because we do, and it's at this point, it's almost the only thing we care about at the beginning. Um, yeah. People think yeah. desktop, but really, all of the content is coming in on mobile at this point, or 60 to 70 percent. Um, and then the way we structure that is we do we look at personas, um, kind of your typical site visitor. Um, what are they? What are their experiences? What are they going to do? Um, what is the goal that they're trying to accomplish? Is it read a post or is it fill out a contact form? Um, really upfront, like we do that because if you define those things really well up front, then it's really easy to define what the goals are. And then we can come in as developers and say, this is how we're going to accomplish that goal. Um, but that's, you know, that's all the upfront stuff to figure out how you get to a good design, a workable design. Yeah, usually, usually before, like, you know, we ever create any design or anything like that. There's a book that I read when I was in college and, and I've stuck to the framework of it. It's called The Elements of User Experience by a guy named Jesse James Garrett. This guy is the one who actually coined the term Ajax. And um, it gives you a very solid framework of putting together like your goals, this, you know, the information architecture that's necessary to go with that. And then moving on it up to a design, you know, it's a really great book, very short, and uh, gets to the point really, really easily. And I've always I've stuck with that framework. I thought you were gonna say the book was by uh, Sun Tzu called the the, the Art of War. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Which can totally be applied by the, applied to this too. So yeah, totally. George, so one of the things, George, George, I want to get George in here a little bit too. So George has an ongoing project that that he's constantly working on, which is Jetpack. You guys have to have some type of project management stuff that's going on over there. Uh, we do. There's a lot of assorted stuff we wind up pulling in, but the main way we architect stuff is finding the needs that make sense and mesh well with the availability we have. So I mean, a lot of the stuff is we find the problems that it's we already have the stuff in the back end to provide a good solution to. For example, um, a couple of years ago, we just rolled out related posts. Um, on WordPress.com, we had been running large Elasticsearch indexes to do like latent semantic analysis and find out what posts are talking about what and how we can link them together. and a lot of folks have been trying to do related posts on .org sites, but there's hard to have a very efficient way of doing it because MySQL isn't really aimed well at juggling that sort of data. Um, so there were a lot of systems where you'd like have to tag and make categories, and it would find like commonalities with a bunch of database queries, and then cache stuff, and then as soon as you made a new post, you need to purge it all and re-index everything. Big, messy, complex, expensive thing to run. Uh, so we just rolled it out, and we let folks uh, use .com servers to do it. And it's more a question of understanding what the needs and what the capabilities are and finding an intersection between the two. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, I mean, very I, I were, mean who was it that was going to speak about next? I'm sorry about that. I was going to say, it, that, that's kind of important, though, right? Because that's how you keep readers on your site is like, hey, people who read this also might like to read this. And like... If you get that wrong, you could, you know, discourage somebody from never coming back to your site. So, I mean, I applaud you, George, on on Jetpack doing that and doing it well. 
That's where you take a bow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, actually, right, like, I'm, I'm, I'm taking really, this t-shirt off. We're done. I, I'm, one <laughs> of the, I'm one of the few who loves loves Jetpack. And I know there's a lot of controversy around the community about it, but I love Jetpack. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> Dang. My bad. Sorry, George. No, no worries. Me. I mean, <laughs> Jetpack is aimed for users. There are yeah. a lot of developers. They may not like it, but, well, yeah. that's cool, and they're in, certainly entitled to think that way. It's just maybe they – Folks need to realize if you don't like something, maybe you are not the target audience that is trying to make life easier for. True. So, and, and that's And that also goes back to just websites in general. Is that sometimes the person who's paying for the website to be built is not the target audience of the person or the people that are going to be visiting Ooh. the site too. Chris that's Lemma, controversial. Chris, Chris Lemma says that all the time. Chris Lemma always says like, your website is not for you. It's for it's not for your client. It's for your client's client. Well, but the client just, I mean, they think it is when you're building it most of the time. They'll say, hey, I don't like this or, you know. Well, it's not like it's not like building a brick and mortar, right? Like when somebody comes in, like you have cute little vines hanging from the thing and like it's a great experience. It's more like how do people buy your stuff? And, you know, I, I think separating those two and saying that this is not your brick and mortar is kind of important. Okay, yeah. I mean, back okay, to the top example. For example, in architecting projects like this uh, is – Look at any like a restaurant website or a college website or a school website. When a user goes to it, the school may think, "Here's all the things we want to show them," which is notes from the last school board meeting, or here's what uh, we want to like. Here's the new things that folks want to come in the clubs they want to come join. But when someone comes to the website, what do they want ninety percent of the time? Okay, what's the school lunches for the next week? When are the upcoming closings and delays? And normally you have to dig like three pages deep to find that sort of stuff. Just because you're not thinking about what the end user needs to get. And that's all back to IA, information architecture, which is exactly what we need to focus more on. Yeah. So, George, you guys, Jetpack releases constantly, like weekly. Like there are uh, updates all the time. First Tuesday of every month, I think. Okay. You're only, you're only doing good to know. Major releases now once a month? Uh, yes, it had been slower, but we bumped up to once a month, uh, maybe six months ago. But then ago, there's also smaller releases. Occasionally so there's point releases, but. How do you guys structure, like I know Sarah and I were doing, and various are doing a lot of client service work. Mm -hmm. um, it's not so much product. I just got into products with the theme store, but um, that's pretty new for me to comment on. Um, how do you guys structure to the product? Like, how does that release cycle work for you guys? Uh, so we do you, like, is it somewhat agile? Is it sprints? Is it? It's a mashup you of kind what of we found works so. for us, honestly. Uh, a lot of it, I mean, we used to have, like, we'd say our next release is going to have this in it, and we'd be determined on that. And because releases may have been a couple months apart, uh, sometimes that release would get pushed back and pushed back and pushed back because there was always one more thing they wanted to get in it. Um, what we wound up doing was switching to, when we switched to a monthly release, uh, it wasn't that big of a deal if something missed one release and we wouldn't have to keep pushing it back and back and back and then miss our target release date by a whole month just because if it doesn't catch this release, it'll be in the next one, not a big deal. 
Um, so what we do is we ship the first Tuesday every month, unless it's a holiday or something and we need to work around that. Uh, we do a basically a feature freeze uh, a week before that uh, with heavy testing the week prior. Um, we have someone on the team that works as basically a release conductor. Um, we're careful with pull requests. Anything that gets merged into master needs to have two pull requests or two reviews done on it, at least one by a member of the Jetpack team. Um, and these are all stuff that we've built over the years based on um, trial and error. We found that this helps us have more stable, uh, reliable releases for our users, and that's the number one goal. So it sounds a bit like a typical Agile process. You, you kind of define what you want to do, you set a deadline of how long you're going to work on it, and then you get done what you can, um, which is kind of cool. Like, that's kind of what I'd expect, but I wouldn't expect it on a month schedule. It's, that's awesome. Um, I'm curious, Sarah. Yes. How do you guys structure that stuff? Um, like, how do you structure your, your workload workflow part of the project? Well, I mean, I'm just trying to think of like how to, I mean, just in terms of like my personal time management. Not really what I was asking, but Sorry. maybe my question is way I too confusing. Um, so we go live to Jason. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a single developer. I just take care of my stuff by myself, and, and the projects just uh, kind of get uh, thrown in my lap, and I, I try to build them as fast as humanly possible for the cheapest amount that I can for the internal clients that I have at work. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think our industry is very... Um, uh, lucky in the sense like I used to work in mortgages and I know that like I could close a loan and if I had to close a loan by the 31st that means I had to have X amount of stuff by the second of the month in order to meet that 28 days or whatever and I think you know there's a lot of industry where you know including sales like if you don't want a rate to go up or a price to change you have to close it within a certain time frame and I think with web development we're kind of lucky in that sense where Maybe George doesn't release something, or Jetpack doesn't do it this month. And if he doesn't, if, if he waits till next month, it's not going to blow up the, you know, the entire thing. But companies can shut down if you miss dates or if you don't have X amount of papers and stuff. I think we work in a very, you know, lucky situation. Yeah. So let me tell you where my well, question came from. Is yeah. I recently got asked to do a project, a big project, Agile, and I literally had to explain to the client, I'm like, we we can't do it. Like I wouldn't. I wouldn't know how to do this project and how to price it for a fixed fee up front based on Agile. Um, we've always worked milestone-based. We kind of define at the beginning of the project um, four or five milestones that we're going to hit. And this goes back to what I said earlier. Like, There's a, a functional component that we build first. So usually, like, or design component first, so we're like, OK, when design's done, that's milestone one. Waterfall to milestone two, waterfall to milestone three. And Curve is very different than what George was describing, like the structure of the workflow over time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the start, uh, this project is going to go roughly two months, and it's going to be roughly the size, and these are kind of our, our stopping points. Um, it's different when you get into like ongoing work, right? Like that, that's a different thing. But when you're just doing big projects, how do you structure them? Okay. In terms of milestones and in terms of like the overall arc. Especially when uh, Agile is designed. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I 
those just things of it is kind of time management. Like, yeah. so, so when I'm, when I'm looking at an entire project and I mean, we usually do work in like an agile or agile esque, even on like, you know, large fixed fee projects. Um, but I mean, that's not to say that, you know, I'm not writing lots of scope adjustments. We start, you know, through that agile process, um, you know, identifying entirely new features and new parts of the site that we need. But, like, I, I just figure out, like, what all the parallel tracks are, you know, like, you know what all of the third-party integrations and APIs that we're going to need to put into this are going to be. Um, I can start engineering team on that while we're working on wireframing and and well, fit that in what's going on it's also where like you can do like a lot of data migration while you're doing the, the the design process right like who cares how much stuff is in that custom post type if you're just working on the template like you can marry those things together and i think that kind of speeds up that process yeah just kind of figuring out like what parts cuz i mean the, the thing that bums me out about like i mean i know you know gantt charts and waterfall goes are those are just very, and it's easy for your client to look at and say, okay, we do this, and then we do this, and then we do this, and then we're done. The problem with that is that if one of those little things along the way falls down, project is off the rails. Yep. Um, if you can identify what can happen at the same time, uh, and you know all the little places where somebody doesn't deliver design to you on time, you've still got stuff that can happen. Um, Sarah, I, I don't know if you know, but Gantt Chart and Waterfall are actually playing in Hermosa Beach uh, tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because I just got given a Gantt Chart by a, a marketing uh, agency that's doing oh, yeah. the design stuff. And and I'm just like, oh, I haven't seen one of these in a while. But okay, let me look at this. And then it's like, there's a bar for uh, alpha web development, and then there's client review, and then there's beta web development, like alpha, beta, final is what they've scoped out for us. And alpha and review and beta all overlapped for two weeks. I'm like, really? Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't understand. So it's basically you a start. You pretend you're giving us four weeks to do this, but two of it overlaps with client review, and then that same client review overlaps with beta? Like that? I, mean, that's, I, I, I feel like that's also why I don't, you know, if. But, yeah. But, but that's why I'm always like, I'm going to do the timeline, because I'm going to do the timeline. Yeah. Oh, man, look at the time, Jason. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, if we start in a minute late, don't we end a minute late? Right. Exactly. Exactly. There we don't mess up anybody's uh, podcast uh, players or anything like that. No, I, I think I think that um, I think that project project management is super important, and I think that on water cooler for the for the many years that we've been doing water cooler, we we've neglected the fact that there is this thing called project management. We do actually pay people to be project managers, and that we actually talk about project management as if it's like 
that um, that thing that's kind of nagging in the back of our heads of like, you have to do this, you have to make this thing happen, you have to make this happen. But actually, that's exactly what it is. It's like there is a schedule, and we need to get this thing done, and you need to get out there and actually get it um, get it completed. Oh, and by the way, this thing just changed in the middle of the project. Oh no, now I have to fix it. So I I think that I think that we need to talk more about this, and I think we need to kind of chop this up into smaller pieces to really discuss how does project management actually work when it comes to a WordPress project, especially when you're working with multiple teams and all those sorts of things. That's about it, folks. Make sure you go over to our website over at wpwatercooler.com, and you can go over to wpwatercooler.com slash subscribe, and that's where you can subscribe to us. Um, you can go take a look at all the stuff that we have going on over on YouTube, on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Wherever you're at, whatever you're listening to this thing at, oh, go and hit the little subscribe button. And if they have something that looks like a little thumbs up button, we would enjoy you clicking on that as well. Folks, thank you very much for coming and hanging out with us. I really appreciate it. You have a good rest of your day. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. It's great.